is Jesus? Is he God? We'll set out to answer that today on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. We're talking about the deity of Jesus today on Abounding Grace as Pastor Ed Taylor deep dives into the scriptures in search of who Jesus is. Glad you could join us. We'll be continuing our new study of John's gospel with another visit to chapter one. Now, when we left you last time, Pastor Ed was asking and answering a few helpful questions. The first, was Jesus ever called God? Second, does Jesus possess the attributes of God? We'll pick things up today with the third question, is Jesus unique? Was Jesus ever called God? Yes. Did Jesus possess the attributes of God? Yes. Number three, is Jesus unique? Don't answer it. Give me a chance. Give me a chance. Is Jesus unique? Well, what makes Jesus so unique? You know that verse, John chapter 3, verse 16? You see it in football games, and, and it's the first probably even unbelievers memorize this verse. They'll even have it in their house. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. It's the gospel, the good news message in a short form. And we emphasize the back end of that, which I just shared with you, that, man, man, God is so passionately pursuing you that if you'll just bow the knee, God will receive you, you'll be saved. And we often skip over a very important phrase. We just kind of take it for granted that God gave his only begotten son. That's an important phrase. It's actually, if you're still in John chapter 1, in verse 14, he uses the same phrase earlier. He says that, that we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten. Now that phrase is a phrase that reflects uniqueness. God is declaring right now that Jesus is unique, very special, one of a kind. There's no one like him. There's no other, no other name under heaven, Peter said, by which a man could be saved but the name of Christ Jesus. He's unique, special. And let me tell you how. First of all, Jesus is unique in his virgin birth. Now, when you were growing up in high school, did you ever meet anyone that was born of a virgin? I haven't. I've been around this world for quite a while and never met one. You know why? Because there never will be one and there never was one except Jesus. And it was prophesied hundreds of years before it ever occurred, Isaiah chapter 7. That, that's what's so powerful. This is another Bible study we could do, and we have the power of prophecy. God, being God, knowing the future, is so confident of what he knows that he will write it down ahead of time so that when it comes to pass, you'll believe that God is God. No other religion is able to do that. No false god is able to do that. And the Bible even, God even says of himself, if anyone predicts something and says they're speaking for God, if they predict something and it doesn't come to pass, stone them because they're false prophets. I mean, God's just like, man, straight up. Isaiah chapter 7, it's the verse that we often use around Christmas time, isn't it? In verse 14, it says, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel. God lays it out. This is how Messiah is coming, of a virgin. This is how it's going to happen. It's going to be miraculous. 
God lays out the birth of Jesus and says, it is unable to be, ha- to be duplicated by human beings. It requires my intervention. Jesus will be born of a virgin. Amazing, the prophecies of God. Another prophecy I think about how powerful God is, is that long before crucifixion, the Bible said that Messiah would be crucified and described it in vivid detail. The, the crazy thing about that biblically is that when God described the crucifixion, it wasn't even invented yet wasn't even on the scene for people to use as a reference. They just wrote down what they were told. Amazing. Amazing. It's just encouraging. So how does it, how was Isaiah 7 fulfilled? Well, the Bible says in Galatians chapter 4 that Jesus was born of a woman. In Matthew 22, it says that Jesus was born of the seed of David. So he came from a woman. He came from the right lineage. And then lastly, in Luke chapter 1, it says that he was conceived by the overshadowing of the highest. In Luke chapter 1, verse 35, the Holy Spirit shall come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you, Mary was told. Therefore, that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. And his birth was from a virgin. He's unique in his birth, but you also know he's unique in his life. He's unique in his life because Jesus is the only one to ever have walked the planet that has a human nature, 100% human, and 100% God. When he emptied himself, the Bible speaks of him coming from glory. He existed before the womb of Mary because he's eternal. The Bible speaks of him leaving in Philippians and relinquishing some of the glory that he shared in heaven. He didn't lose his godness He submitted himself to the humanity, and now he is merged with 100% human and 100% God. Again, that's the doctrine of the incarnation. We will get to that when we get to verse 14 in our verse-by-verse study in John. And that, where people are reading through the Gospels, this kind of stumbles them a little bit because we read at times of his humanity. For instance, in John chapter 19, we read of Jesus being thirsty. In Matthew chapter 4, we read of Jesus being hungry. In John chapter 12, we read of Jesus being troubled. In Matthew 8, he's tired. In John 4, he's weary. In Matthew 21, we read of him being angry, but without sin. In John chapter 11, we see Jesus weeping. And there's a uniqueness in his life, not only in his birth. But thirdly, Jesus is unique in his his death. His death was also prophesied and predicted. Not only was it prophesied and predicted um, that he would die, but it was also prophesied and predicted that he would be crucified. And all the details leading up to exactly how he fulfilled those through his death. But not only that, he was unique in his death because Jesus alone died as a substitution. According to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, it says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. So he's unique as he died for a substitution. Not only that, but Jesus was, was unique in that he was made to be sin, even though he was perfectly sinless. He was made to be sin. We read it, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. The Bible says that he was unique in his death because he's the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the the world. 
Now, that's a significant picture because in the Old Testament relationship of man with God, there was a sacrificial system that was required through the priesthood. And you would bring a lamb, and that lamb would be sacrificed, and the blood of that lamb would be sprinkled. And through that, it was symbolic of God, that blood, recognizing that blood, and covering sin. Until when? Until the next time you brought a sacrifice. That was the pattern. You were always continually bringing sacrifices because God would be covering your sin, and that was his agreement with God. That was his, what we would call, a covenant. That was his covenant. But with Jesus, Jesus ushered in a new covenant of grace. And the new covenant of grace, now, we aren't, you didn't bring a lamb here. I'm glad you didn't bring a lamb here today. Everybody walking in, where's, you know, there's a whole thing of lambs just tied to the pole out there. We're not going to do anything with them. We're we're not going to sacrifice them. We're not going to do anything with those lambs that you bring. Why? Because John the Baptist would say, there's Jesus, the Lamb of God that doesn't cover sin. You know what he does? takes it away. As far as the east is from the west, so far as God removed our sins from us. Oh yeah, he's unique in his birth. He's unique in his life. He's unique in his death. And finally, Jesus is unique in his resurrection. You see, they buried Jesus in a tomb, but three days later he rose again and Jesus is alive today, calling you into a relationship with himself. He's unique. 400 years before the birth of Jesus Christ, Socrates drank the poison hemlock and laid down to die. Those that were with him, his friends asked him, Shall we live again, Socrates? And the dying philosopher could only reply, I hope so, but no man can know. Well, let me tell you, Socrates knows the answer to that question now. Jesus himself said in John chapter 11, verse 25, he, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life, and he who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live, and whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? You see, Jesus is the resurrection. He's the first to be resurrected in a glorified body. He's the first to be resurrected and never die again. He's unique in his resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus from the dead is not a peripheral issue. It's the foundation of our faith. The very power that raised Jesus from the dead is the very power that lives in you. It's where victory comes from. We don't worship a dead Savior. We worship an alive Savior. And our Savior that's resurrected then fills us with hope to be reunited and resurrected with those that died in Christ before us and to be reunited with them in heaven. He's unique in his resurrection. Muhammad is not resurrected. Buddha, Krishna, and every other false teacher that has come along is not resurrected. But Jesus Christ is alive today calling you into a relationship with himself. So some will say, show me the evidence, Ed. Well, consider the evidence. Number one, there's an empty tomb. The tomb is empty. It was the people that came to visit the tomb on the very three days later came, and it was gone. It was empty. The stone was rolled away. Secondly, after the resurrection, we have instances of Jesus giving people the opportunity to touch his body. What does he tell Thomas? He says, Thomas, stick your finger in there. Put your hand in my side. Hey, we shouldn't call Thomas doubting anymore. Because I think if you were able to touch the wounds and put... Can you imagine putting your hand in the... I mean, really, you're just like, whoa, whoa, okay. I believe. (laughs) I mean, that's something you'll never forget. And God will use experiences to remind you of his presence. So you start thinking, man, no, no, man, but God has shown himself. Luke chapter 24 is where 
Jesus gave people the opportunity to touch him. And John chapter 20 is where he gave Thomas the opportunity to touch in the wounds. Not only that, but Jesus ate and drank after his resurrection, Luke chapter 24. Not only that, we see the 11 that followed him. We, we call them his disciples or his apostles. They were cowardly, and they, everyone but John ran away from the cross. Remember, they ran away, and they were afraid. They were terrified. They were like, hey, it's over. It's done. They're sad. They're cowardly. But, you know, history tells us that 10 of the 11 all died a vicious, violent martyr's death. That means they died for their faith. That means that when given the chance to recant and given the chance to say it's not true and given the chance to to bow the knee to Caesar or anyone else, they said, no way, we're dying all the way for Jesus. He was real, he died, he rose again, and he's worthy of my life. Now, history tells us, if you're looking for um, some really powerful, powerful books on martyrdom and the believers that have gone before us, one of them is called Fox's Book of Martyrs. Uh, I think we have it down in the bookstore, but if you search the internet, there's a lot of free PDFs because I think it's in the public domain now. And if you want a, if you want a, a couple of books on modern-day martyrs, I think they're called Jesus Freaks. You might have to order them because I don't know if they're in print anymore, but it's, it's devotional books day after day. It, it'll strengthen your faith of the things you're going through because people day after day around the world, even now as I'm speaking, are dying for their faith. And it's what happened to the original 10 of the 11. Now, John doesn't count. They tried to kill him. Remember, John, I told you about putting him in a a cauldron of boiling oil, and he's just like, you know, taking a bath with, I don't know what he did, but he doesn't, doesn't touch him. God miraculously keeps him, protects him. So what do they do? They send him to the island of Patmos, just go die a lonely death on your own. But that's not what happened. And his time of greatest isolation was a time of his greatest revelation. And God hooked him up with a view of what the end times are going to be. And, and he just gloried in Patmos and he didn't die on Patmos. They brought him back and he had a ministry. And remember his ministry, he was carried from church to church because he was so old and he just had one message. Love one another. Love one another. Tell us more. Love one another. Ah. Well, history tells us that Matthew was thrust through with a sword in distant Ethiopia. Mark died in Alexandria after being cruelly dragged through the streets of that city. Luke hung on an olive tree in Greece. Peter was crucified upside down in Rome. James the Less was thrown from a high place off the temple, then beaten to death with a club. Andrew was bound to a cross where he preached to his persecutors until he died. James the Greater was beheaded in Jerusalem. Thomas was run through the body with a lance in the East Indies. I mean, think about it. I mean, Thomas had the evidence, and he went down trusting in the Lord. Jude was shot to death with arrows, and then, of course, John was, they tried to put him to death, but couldn't do it. Now, think about it just from a logical standpoint, even in the own weaknesses of of you and I and our humanity, because... If you haven't had your weakness of humanity exposed yet, it's only a matter of time. You think about in a weak moment where you just look at your life and you go, all I have to do is say I don't believe in Jesus and I can live. That's all I have to do. Just say, I'll just fake it. You know, and you can see how you would reason it around and just like, well, I'll just fake it because God will forgive me. And, you know, we can just be so weak at times. And if you were faced with being beat with a club or thrown off the roof of a building or shot with arrows or on and on, you think of the temptation to go just to save your own life, to save your own skin. I mean, after all, I have a family. And after all, you know, you can think of it all on and on and on. But history tells us that they didn't. 
They didn't say, you know, and, and let's just say it's fake. Let's just say it was fake. Let's give it that, that, let's give the benefit of the doubt to that argument. It was fake. Don't you think one of them would have just, one of them, one out of 10 would have said, it's fake. It's fake. It's not real. We hit the body. Let me tell you where it's at. We made it all up. I'm sorry. I'm, but no, because it wasn't made up. Jesus did die and rise again. And they all went down dying on that truth. Talk about evidence. Not only that. But the Bible records for us at least 10 different appearances of Jesus. Mary Magdalene saw him in John chapter 20. The apostles saw him without Thomas in John 20. Other women saw him in Matthew 28. Over 500 people saw him at one time with their own eyes. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Seven apostles are mentioned in John 21. Peter in Luke 24. There was... The apostles with Thomas, John chapter 20, and many more that weren't recorded, Acts chapter 1. Then there's a phrase, all saw him, referring to a large group of people, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And then in Luke 24, one of my favorites is when Jesus appeared, you'll recall, to the two men on the road to Emmaus. It was a real tough time for them. I get the picture of them walking down the road to Emmaus, really discouraged, really defeated, just kicking cans, going, it's over, it's done. It's not what we thought it would be. You know, we put all our faith and hope and trust in this man, and now it's all been taken away, and there's no hope. And and it was in their discouragement, and it was in their difficulty that Jesus appeared to them. And they don't get it. They're not there yet. Oftentimes when Jesus would appear, it would take some time to figure it out. They were one of them. And they're like, you know, he asked them, what's going on? And they go, well... Are you the only one in Jerusalem? You're the only one around that hasn't heard what's happened? And you're reading the story going, dude, it happened to him. What are you talking about? He's the one that knows it the best. But he doesn't judge. He doesn't, you know, that, he just unfolds for them a story of salvation from the Old Testament all the way to the present time, revealing himself through all. Can you imagine what that study would have been? Would you like to have the stone carvings because they didn't have mp3s or anything so they're just like somebody slow down jesus you're talking too fast you know it's like you know to have the can you imagine the website just one website one study jesus teaching on not luke 24 you're like yeah that would be awesome you you would treasure that teaching so much you wouldn't sell it you'd share it it's that valuable you'd want to get the message out and that, that that appearance after his resurrection just personally blesses me because it reveals to me and reminds me that Jesus will come to me in a deep, dark time in my life. And he won't point the finger at me and he won't judge me and he won't just like, why you? He'll come to me and meet me where I'm at and minister to me and serve me and help bring me to a higher level by just simply opening the scriptures to me and showing himself. That's Jesus. That's what he, I mean, this is God taking the time to encourage two guys on the road that are discouraged. Don't you think he'll take the time to encourage you, to uplift you, to serve you, and to minister to your deepest needs? Mm. Three of the four questions have been asked and answered. Number one, was Jesus ever called God, church? Yes. Does Jesus possess the attributes of God? Yes. Is Jesus unique? Yes. All right, here we go. Number four, how does Jesus demonstrate that he's God? Well, he lived a sinless life. John chapter 8, verse 46. Which of you convicts me of sin, he says. Not only that, but he forgives sins. Not only did he live a sinless life, but he forgives sins. Jesus does. Mark chapter 2, verse 10. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said the paralytic, rise up and walk. Wow. 
Because he had already said earlier, his sins are forgiven. In John chapter 5, we learn that he possesses the authority to judge that only God has. In John 5, 22, it says, For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son. <laughs> How about this? How did Jesus demonstrate that he's God? Well, Jesus raised the dead. I think that's pretty significant. You know, he encouraged, he encouraged um, Mary and Martha by what? Raising their brother Lazarus from the dead. Now, of course, Lazarus died again uh, physically, but he's eternally alive in the heavenlies right now. What a story that brother has to share of the things that God did in his life. In John chapter 11, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life, and whoever believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And not only that, Romans 6.23 says that Jesus demonstrated that he's God by giving eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know, Paul would say in 1 Timothy chapter 3 that the Bible, the Scriptures, are divinely inspired of God. And they're profitable for doctrine, reproof, instruction, and righteousness, correction. That the very Scriptures you have in your hand have been inspired by God. They weren't written down by the whims of man, but God inspired holy men to write down the Scriptures and keep them pure for us even to this day. But did you know that Paul also says that Jesus inspired the Scriptures? Galatians chapter 1, verse 11 says, I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached to me is not according to man, because I neither received it from man nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. The gospel itself, the revelation of Jesus. Not only that... Let me give you this, and we'll end here. Turn your Bibles with me. Let's hear the pages move to John chapter 5. John chapter 5, verse 23. Well, verse 22. We'll get the whole sentence here. It's important to understand and establish the deity of Jesus. I don't want you ripped off by somebody that is just moved into the neighborhood or some door knocker. Or somebody that pops their head over the cubicle at work that just started in your office. Somebody that wants to hand you a little magazine at the DVD section in Walmart. Or hit you up at the library while you're looking for a book. Or walking down the street and saying, you know, I just want you, I want you to know that Jesus, and they start describing a Jesus that's not in the Bible. That's not even remotely close to the Jesus, the eternal Son of God. And so we've walked through the entirety, and there's many, many more passages. This, I believe, is enough to establish the deity of Jesus. But I don't want you ripped off. I want you equipped and prepared, not only you here at Calvary, but those that are connected here all around the country through our radio ministry and even watching right now online, people that are sick or just kind of, you know, searching the Internet and finding. Listen, Jesus is God. And here in John chapter 5, verse 23 or 22, it says, For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son, that all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Why? Because Jesus is God. You give him honor. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. One final quiz. Was Jesus ever called God? Does Jesus possess the attributes of God? Is Jesus unique? Does Jesus demonstrate through his life that he's God? And we say amen to that. You are listening to Pastor Ed Taylor on Abounding Grace. Stop by AboundingGraceRadio.com if you'd like a replay, or listen to Pastor Ed through our app. 
Search for Calvary Church or Ed Taylor and download that today. We've been blessed in recent months as we hear from people who have called or written to let us know that they listen and how God is doing a great work through the teaching of His Word. We're so thankful to God for this. And if you'd like to share your story, please email us through our website at AboundingGraceRadio.com. We really do want to hear from you. And we also have a book we'd like to get into your hands that can help you overcome discouragement and even depression. It's Struggling Under the Broom Tree by Pastor Bill Gem. It seems like a day doesn't go by that we don't hear of someone who is really down and discouraged. The past couple of years have really been rough. Did you realize that the prophet Elijah also struggled with fear, doubt, and depression? And you'll read about it in this book, but also how God would lift him out from under the broom tree of despair. Pastor Bill reveals God's rescue plan for discouragement in Struggling Under the Broom Tree. Request a copy when you give a gift of $25 or more to Abounding Grace. We're here to serve you at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. Or just go online to calvaryco.store. And thank you for helping us get the word out on stations like this one. As you partner with us, it's thrilling to see how God uses it in great ways to bless and encourage so many lives through the radio. Another convenient way to make a donation is online at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Celebrating over 20 years of God's faithfulness, this has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora. 